Hello, this is Brian Bullington, and I am pastor of New Song Family Church in Ventuk, Namibia. I'm so glad that you have joined us today, and it's my prayer that this podcast message will help you to grow closer to Jesus as you walk daily with Him. I feel lately like I'm living out one of those hypothetical conversation starters at parties, you know, where they ask this question, trying to get everyone to start talking. How would you answer this question? If the whole world were struck by a highly contagious and deadly virus and you were forced into isolation, what would you do? What three books would you read? What three tools would you want? What would you want to be with? Who would you want to be with 24-7? What would really matter to you? Sure, it'd be nice to be at a party like that again, wouldn't it? Just to have folks around to have conversations and get those things you know, talked about. Uh, but this is, of course, not a what-if scenario. Uh, we are in the thick of it. I think Paul and Timothy can help us uh, wrap our minds around how to live in lockdown. Uh, Paul uh, is one of the most well-known historical figures associated with Jesus. Paul, who in his early life had been known as Saul, had been one of the main haters of Christians. He led a movement against those that followed Jesus, even supervising their assassination. This went on until he had a face-to-face meeting with Jesus that changed his life completely. Paul was so changed by his meeting of Jesus that he devoted the rest of his life to him and his teachings. Willing to speak on behalf of, willing to be beat, willing to be imprisoned, willing to die uh, for the one he had previously hated. The Bible is a historical record of all of his travels, and it contains letters that he wrote to the people that he had met on his way. One of those was Timothy, um, who he had met uh, along the way and had been transformed by Jesus. So this is actually a joint letter from Paul and Timothy. It was written to a group of people called Philippians. Philippians who lived in the city of Philippi in the region of Macedonia. Now, this is a letter about what really matters in light of the reality of lockdown. Uh, it's a letter written from lockdown. Paul was in prison when he wrote it. Turns out um, that what was true for Paul and Timothy is still true for us today while we try to manage our new normal. Uh, it's, a, it's a letter about what really matters, what's excellent. And he, he establishes what really matters by first expressing a, a thank you. Uh, verse 3 of Philippians 1. Every time I think of you, I give thanks to my God. A letter of thanks. Why are Paul and Timothy thankful? The church in Philippi had sent them a man by the name of Epaphroditus, who had been sent to them as a helper while Paul was in prison. Paul and Timothy are grateful for Epaphroditus, who they refer to as a fellow worker, a fellow soldier, who had risked his life for the sake of the gospel, and one who had almost died, actually, of a disease. Paul and Timothy are grateful to them, but also thankful to God because of them. In establishing what really matters, what's excellent, he says, thank you. He further establishes what really matters by expressing how deeply he loves who he's writing to. It's a love letter. Paul is writing to people he loves deeply, people who make him happy whenever he thinks about them and whenever he prays for them. Uh, He makes a case for why he feels such deep love for them. This is what he says in verse 4 of Philippians 1. Whenever I pray... I make my request, my, 
I make my request for all of you with joy. For you have been my partners in spreading the good news about Christ from the time you first heard it until now. And I'm certain that God, who began the good work within you, will continue his work until, until it's finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. So it's right that I should feel as I do about all of you. For you have a special place in my heart. You share with me the special favor of God, both in my imprisonment and in defending and confirming the truth of the good news. God knows how much I love you and long for you with the tender compassion of Christ Jesus. I pray that your love will overflow more and more and that you'll keep on growing in knowledge and understanding. This place and people were very special to Paul, more than likely because of the unique call of God and the special uh, people that God actually sent them to. Uh, we're fortunate that we have recorded in the Bible how Paul, along with his associates, met the Philippians in the first place. We have this record in the book of Acts, Acts 16. So uh, Philippi, the place that Paul, Silas, and Timothy had gone to, uh, uh, they went there because they'd been given a vision from God of a man actually inviting them, calling them to them from Macedonia. The Holy Spirit had actually stopped them on two other occasions from going to other places in order to redirect them to go to Philippi. The group of three had made decisions solely because of this vision. So it's a, and, and a, a great diverse group of people that were being called by God. So Timothy, the, the Greek, Paul, the zealot, uh, terrorist converted to Christ, and then Silas the Jew, all being called by God in this vision to go to Philippi. What a beautiful picture of how God brings people together and how God sends people on mission. So after traveling uh, by sea, so after this vision, they get on a boat and they head by sea uh, to Philippi. They traveled three days uh, by land and sea uh, to Philippi. They started their ministry uh, about three days after they got to Philippi, they started their ministry. And they did so, uh, their strategy was to go to the edge of the city where they knew people would be praying. They expected people to be praying uh, out there by this uh, place, by a river, uh, where they expected to find people praying. They found actually a group of people praying. Uh, they found a group of women specifically whom they spoke to. Uh, so in, in that group of women, uh, there was a lady named Lydia. Lydia uh, was a businesswoman who dealt, uh, who actually had a business selling very expensive uh, uh, clothing. She was the first person actually to come to faith and to be baptized. After being baptized, after coming to faith, um, she invited them, insisted that they stay with her. And she became their host in Philippi. Uh, and, and essentially her place, her house became uh, ministry headquarters. So you can just imagine sharing a house is not something you do with just anyone. Um, for this relationship to work, they would have had to be very, very close. Uh, if you've ever shared a house with someone other than your direct family, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Um, he loved uh, these people, uh, Lydia being one of those. Shared a house together. I mentioned their calling uh, and their, their contacts, because the writers of the Bible mentioned this. 
uh, it was important enough to be included in the biblical record. Uh, this is a spirit-led ministry initially to women. After making a case for why they were so special to him, he begins to share with them what he desires for them. Essentially, he's saying, I love you uh, so much, and, and because I love you, this is what I want for you. Because I love you, I want to tell you what is really important. I want you to know what's excellent, what's important, what really matters. May you always be filled with the fruit of your salvation, the righteous character produced in your life by Christ Jesus. For this will bring much glory and praise to God. You get some idea of what really mattered to Paul and Timothy and what kind of righteous character they had when you see the context of their known behavior and experience while in Philippi. So soon after their ministry started with Lydia, uh, they kept going back to the riverside to share Christ. Uh, they were established out of Lydia's house. They would come, go from Lydia's house and to uh, this place of prayer. One day while they were there, they met a slave girl that had a demon. Uh, this demon enabled her to actually predict the future. She made a lot of money for her owners, her masters, by predicting the future. So on this particular day, she started following them around screaming, These men are the servants of the Most High God. And I have come to tell you, and have come to tell you how to be saved. You can just imagine here, this is this lady is actually the, becomes the master of ceremonies and introduces them to, to everyone around them. You can imagine how irritating this must have been. Uh, I mean, just imagine Satan becomes your master of ceremonies, introducing you before you preach. Uh, Paul dealt with this uh, by speaking to the demon inside the slave girl. He commanded that the demon leave her. The demon instantly left this slave girl and she lost all of her powers. Now, uh, we don't know much past that she was demon free. Uh, we don't know what happened to her by the hands of her masters. Uh, surely there was a new freedom though and a peace in her soul unlike she had ever experienced. And we're always better when the spirit of God has touched our lives. It is possible, although we don't know for sure, that she became part of the movement. We just don't have record of it. The slave owners, of course, were horrified and greatly irritated that they had lost their source of income. So they took Paul and Silas before the Roman authorities and brought false accusations to them. A mob quickly formed. City officials ordered that Paul and Silas be stripped and beaten with wooden rods. They were, they were severely beat, uh, thrown into an inner dungeon, prison, and their feet were put in stocks. Stripped naked, beaten, placed in chains. But, of course, Paul and Silas, instead of complaining about their rights, instead of complaining about the situation, Paul and Silas began to sing hymns loudly and praying loudly enough to where all the other prisoners could hear them. So in the midst of all this praise and prayer, uh, God sent a massive earthquake, massive enough to shake the prison to its foundations. The prison doors immediately flew open and the prison chains fell off. The jailer who was supposed to be watching them was asleep at the time and after this happened, he woke up and he was convinced and sure that because of this earthquake, the prisoners had escaped. His plan, he decided to commit suicide 
because he didn't want to be held accountable by the Roman authorities. He pulled his sword out to thrust it into his stomach. But just before he killed himself, Paul, who had not left the prison, shouted to him and said this, Do not harm yourself, for we are all still here. His behavior, Paul, tells us that he was more concerned about the purposes of God instead of his own personal comfort. He understood that freedom in Christ was much greater than physical freedom. He was driven by his love for Christ and his love for the lost, which overshadowed his love for himself or his possible desire for revenge or his need of comfort. So the jailer actually stopped and called for a light, ran in and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas, overwhelmed by what they had done. And this is the first thing out of his mouth. He said, sirs, what must I do to be saved. Paul said to him, believe in the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved, along with everyone in your household. They shared the word of the Lord with them and with all who live in his household. So even at that hour, so late in the night, um, the jailer cared for them, washed their wounds. Then he and everyone in his household were immediately baptized. He brought them into his house and set a meal before them, and he and his entire household rejoiced because they all believed in God. So the jailer went from wanting to kill himself to ecstatic and expressive joy, mainly because Paul was resolved and sure of what really mattered, what was excellent, what was really important in that moment. I can't help but think if I were stripped, naked, beaten, shackled, I can't but wonder if, if I would actually praise God. Would I pray so loud that I could be heard? I can only imagine if I had a chance to get even with my captors, what would I do? Would I show the gospel to them? Would I see as an opportunity to be an ambassador for Christ, to act like a citizen of heaven? I sure hope I would. Philippians 1 verse 12, we see that Paul's character hasn't changed a bit. He's in prison and he gives testimony about what's really important to him. Verse 12, and I want you to know, my dear brothers and sisters, that everything that has happened to me here has helped to spread the good news. For everyone here, including the whole palace guard, knows that I am in chains because of Christ. And because of my imprisonment, most of the believers here have gained confidence and boldly speak God's message without fear. He goes on to give us some idea of how extensive his influence was for Christ. He actually sends greetings to Philippi uh, from the household of Caesar. Paul's influence wasn't only to the guards and the local believers, but to the highest levels of politics and power. Philippians 4, the end of his letter, he actually sends greetings from the household of Caesar. Paul had been used by God to bring people to the kingdom, but also to motivate them to be ambassadors for Christ, to speak boldly the good news of Jesus. He'd been used also uh, by God to motivate people to speak the gospel who had bad motives when they shared the gospel. That's crazy. His influence was so great that he was able to, to make witnessing, sharing Jesus, the cool thing to do. It was sort of like uh, the what would Jesus do bracelets that we used to wear years ago uh, that were popular with people who actually were not believers, were not followers of Christ. Or when rock stars, this is one of my favorite, when rock, when rock stars who 
stand for everything but Jesus decide to release a Christian music album uh, to get money from people who follow Christ. Uh, I, I buy their albums. Uh, I still praise Jesus because the truth is, is truth. And I think God is still honored when even the lost sing about salvation in Christ alone. This was Paul's take. This was Paul's take on people who actually were sharing Christ with bad motives. He says it doesn't matter. Whether their motives are false or genuine, the message about Christ is being preached either way. So Saul rejoice. I will continue to rejoice because ultimately what really was important to him, what really mattered was that Christ's message was preached and that Christ was honored. Paul and Timothy are saying in this letter, I want you to know what really matters. And then the letter phases beyond, uh, this is what I want for you to, this is what I expect of myself. This is not just what I want for you, but what I expect for myself. I expect of myself to be about what really matters. Verse 20, for I fully expect and hope that I will never be ashamed and that I will continue to be bold for Christ as I have been in the past. And I trust that my life will bring honor to Christ, whether I live or die. For me to live, for me, living means living for Christ and dying is even better. But if I live, I can do more fruitful work for Christ. So I really don't know which is better. I'm torn between two desires. I long to go and be with Christ, which would be far better for me. So what really matters? What is excellent in this time? Christ being preached. Whether with good or bad motives, Christ is preached. Whether I live or die, Christ will be honored. Whatever the condition of my motivation, whatever condition of my soul, whatever condition of my body, Christ being preached and honored. Paul says that we are called into what really matters. So what matters to you today? Uh, what matters in isolation? What really matters when I can't work or when I've actually lost my job? What matters when I lose my freedom? Is Christ honored in my life? If I died, what would people say about me? Did I live for Christ? Did I push people to Christ? Can I say with confidence that even in death, my life would honor Christ? I need to take stock of my life. I need to evaluate what really is excellent in this time. To live as Christ and to die as gain. For to me, living means living for Christ and dying is even better. He says, this is what I want for you. This is what I expect for myself. And then he says, this is what I expect of you. Starting in verse 27, he says this, above all, you must live as citizens of heaven, conducting yourself in a manner worthy of the good news about Christ. Then whether I come and see you again and only hear about you, I will know that you are standing together with one spirit and one purpose, fighting together for the faith, which is the good news. And then in verse 28, he says, don't be intimidated in any way by your enemies. This will be a sign to them that they are going to be destroyed, but that you are going to be saved even by God himself. For you've been given not only the privilege of trusting in Christ, but also the privilege of suffering for him. We are in this struggle together. You've seen my struggle in the past, and you know that I am still in the midst of it. So Paul is saying here, Paul and Timothy are saying, these are three things that we expect from you. He says this, you must live as citizens of heaven, 
conducting yourself in a manner worthy of the good news about Christ. So they were, of course, in Philippi, they were a colony of Rome. And he's asking them to actually be more proud of the fact that they are citizens of heaven than citizens of Rome. And, and of course, this is a place where nowhere were people prouder of being Roman citizens than in these colonies. And, and, and Philippi was one of those colonies where to be a Roman citizen was a big deal. Paul here uh, is exhibit A. In the worst of circumstances, he says, I'll praise him and I'll pray to him. I will do it loudly and I will do it clearly. Everyone will know that I am first a citizen of Christ. I will, I will first be a citizen of heaven before I'm a citizen of Rome. Heavenly citizenship will filter every single decision that I make. Paul always was first a citizen of Christ, then a citizen of Rome. That ruled his priorities and his behavior. We have a record of that order be priority in his behavior. So after the prison episode that we see in Acts 16, and after he very boldly praises God, prays loudly so that the prisoners can hear, uh, saves the jailer's life, uh, is, is significant in actually leading the jailer and his entire family to Christ, baptizes them, and they have a praise service together. The next morning, uh, the, the city officials who had actually put him in prison uh, very quietly came to them to release Paul and Silas. And Paul then decides to claim his Roman citizenship after first being a citizen of heaven. And he insisted that they publicly and own their illegal behavior. First, a citizen of heaven, and then a citizen of whatever country we belong to. So what's my knee-jerk reaction to the new normal? Are my decisions being filtered through the reality of heavenly citizenship or my American, my Namibian, or my South African citizenship? Heavenly citizenship has a different criteria and set of rules. It should determine what really matters, how I behave. We have to conduct ourselves in a manner worthy of the good news about Christ. So in this time of isolation, what am I doing? What am I doing for the sake of the good news? Am I demanding my rights or am I behaving as a citizen of heaven? Paul and Timothy's first expectation of them was that they behave as citizens of heaven. Secondly, he expected them to be unified in one spirit and in one purpose. Unified. Unified together with one goal in mind, striving together for one thing. He says, I want you to be fighting together for the faith, which is the good news. Paul says, I expect you to strive together to use every circumstance to be salt and light to a lost world. I expect you to work together towards this end. I expect that when everything falls apart, you will together use that as an opportunity to share the good news about Christ in deed and in word. Paul in prison is using his prison time as a platform to share the gospel. What am I doing now? Am I using everything at my disposable? <laughs> Not my disposable, but at my disposal to share the gospel? What part of the body of Christ am I partnering with to this end? What am I doing actually with others to actually make this time count? 
Am I getting excited about ways that I can share the gospel through different ways? We're so used to actually being face-to-face, but how about social media? How about Facebook? All these different platforms of social media that we have formerly been addicted to, why not use those now to share the gospel as an avenue and as a pathway as citizens of heaven to be light in a very difficult time? Christ is still the answer, even during this time. So am I united with the body of Christ? Am I united with my fellow citizens of Christ together, striving together for the sake of the gospel through whatever is at my disposal to be able to be, to count for Christ? Am I unified? What am I doing? That's expectation number two. Expect, expectation number three was that we not be intimidated in any way by our enemies. This lack of intimidation, uh, Paul says, will serve as a sign uh, to others who do not believe in Christ that they'll be destroyed outside of Christ. And it will also be a sign to them that truly we are going to be saved, that truly there's hope after this life. It's not only a privilege to trust in Christ, but also then to suffer for Christ. Am I being bold for Christ? Um, Does opposition silence me? Am I so bothered by this current crisis that I'm just rolled up in the corner of my room and doing nothing? Is my life a testimony that I'll be saved past this crisis? Can people see in me a bold peace and a confidence that I know where I'm going after this life? God expects me to be bold and confident, not afraid and unsure. Does my family that I'm with 24-7, do they see Christ in my life? Do they see this confident expectation, this confident hope in Christ and Christ alone? Or am I completely destroyed by our current crisis? How is my behavior? Would people look at me and say, hey, this guy actually is positive in the midst of a difficult time? Would they know where my hope lies? Is my life a living testimony that screams that death is actually a good thing for me? Can people see that I am anxious to be with a living, eternal God face to face? Paul says, may you always be filled with the fruit of your salvation, the righteous character produced in your life by Jesus Christ. For this will bring much glory and praise to God. Uh, It looks like we'll be in lockdown for a little while longer. I like what Winston Churchill said after the first real victory in World War II. He said, now this is not the end. It's not even the beginning of the end, but it is perhaps the end of the beginning. Until the end, let's focus on what really matters. This is Rico Vecca, and I'm also a pastor at New Song Family Church. I want to thank you for listening to this message today, and it is my hope that you will join us again for another New Song Family Church podcast.